and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. This week, we're taking Kickstarter out of the vault of our off-limits topics. Sort of. Yesterday was our last Kickstarter segment on Dice Tower Now, and we want to take a chance to talk about crowdfunding as a whole. GameFound is now with us, and it looks like it's going to be sticking around. Kickstarter is as strong as ever, so what is the current state of crowdfunding? And where do we see it going? And what do we like to see in campaigns we back? And what causes us to avoid certain campaigns? And will Fletcher ever support our industry by backing something on any platform? (laughs) But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam <laughs> Harrison, Miles Clark, and the Gift of Games. I guess uh, we can end the you. episode there. That, it's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> he said never. We're done. Oh. It's over. Um, yeah. Well, our listeners should yeah. be glad because we're taking this out of the vault, you know, for another Kickstarter <laughs> free-for-all. So no holds I, barred. I, I was... Yeah, I was saving (laughs) this until we actually got on topic, but I'm just going to put this right at the top of the show. There are still, there is still one topic that is off limits, and that is should a company be using crowdfunding or not? (laughs) (laughs) We will not be discussing that. We will not be discussing that. We are simply talking about the state of things as they are, whether or not we agree with that state. Um, But first, how has your guys' weeks been? It's been a nice week. Excellent. My great. Yeah. So I have something to say this week. Uh, I went to go visit. I went to go visit Chris for the first time. And when was the last time I saw you in person, Chris? It had to be it's over a year ago. Easily over a year. Yeah. It was. It was strange because I'm like, oh, you're a real person in three dimensions, I'm- and that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> you gained a dimension since the last time I saw you, didn't you? Yep. Hey, like, that's just the COVID bit, wait, you know. okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all gained a it's dimension. That, it's the COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you came up and you played Twilight Imperium. And I have in the notes that we're not allowed to talk about it until post-credits. Because we didn't play D&D this week. So I figured we could talk about our TI4 game post-credits. Uh, but it was an epic okay. game. Yes. And yeah, so you were here about eight and a half hours eight-ish uh, hours yeah about about eight eight and a half hours because i got there pretty much right at right around noon and then i left at eight thirty. yep and the game hadn't finished yet so <laughs> it, so we actually facetime fletcher in for the last round just so that he could see the results well the game but, uh, was done we just didn't know it yet <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and we'll talk about all that later uh because I want to I want to relive some of the experiences of that game. So Chris, um, I totally want to play about, the game again. <laughs> should we talk about uh, my middle of the night text that I received? Did I text you in the middle of the night? Yeah, it was one a.m. Oh, that you just oh, sent I did. me a text message. <laughs> it was it was I was up and you know I was thinking of things. Um, <laughs> hey, Kitty, what are you up as to? As one does. <laughs> no, he sent me a picture of his character sheet completed from the uh, open world storybook Alba that I shared with him. Oh, yes. Yeah, I almost forgot about it because it wasn't what I am. Yeah. Th- so this was the thing. So she sent me the PDF, <laughs> which and I will be picking up a legitimate copy of the book and the PDF. Um, and I started going through it and then I couldn't stop 
playing and and it was 1 a.m when i ended and i you know wanted to i i literally texted a picture of the character seat with two words your fault your fault and then i went to sleep (laughs) (laughs) i did it i like a sensible human turned my phone on to do not disturb at nighttime so i didn't get it until like i woke up at 6 a.m and i just laughed quietly to myself (laughs) i figured that you would either not notice it or notice it if you know the baby woke you up in the middle of the night i'm like eh, it's safe to text you i i'm just gonna send this because you need to know that i stayed up until one o'clock reading reading actual reading with your eyes that one cracked me up too he read with his eyes he didn't just listen to it (laughs) yeah this is it's been a long time since i did that much eye reading it's it's a tricky as opposed to i haven't ear reading is not reading reading, chris all of my reading these days is ear reading. It's not reading. That's ear listening. reading um, sounds yucky. <laughs> it's called it was, listening. It was good though. It, it's a different skill. It is a different skill, but but I do think right. listening to audiobooks is different than listening to podcasts. I think that the format is longer. It takes more of your attention span. It's closer to unless reading you listen to this than, podcast. Yeah. Because <laughs> you just want to listen to Chris talk. <laughs> hey, I, I was vetoed when I said we should just call it Tabletop Chris Talk, and then Josh and Kitty said, "No, I don't really." It was like just that Josh. Name. Josh was the only one there at the beginning, and now he's yeah. gone. Now he's gone. <laughs> he he's still like, exists. He comes talk. sometimes. <laughs> he does. Um, but yeah, no, I think there is a different skill listening to a to someone read to you is different than listening to people discussing and talking yeah. conversationally. Um, and it's also different than listening to someone reading a script. Cause if someone's reading a script, well, you don't realize that they're reading mm-hmm. and also an audiobook is definitely being read to you. Yeah. Re- reading and reading out loud are also very different. If yes. you've ever tried to do that. And that's, and that's one of those things that I never really learned how to read not out loud. So even when I'm reading, I'm I'm saying every word in my head. Like I read at the same speed in without talking as if I was just reading it out loud, which is exhausting. And that's why I don't do a lot of reading because it takes me forever to read stuff where I know Kitty is reading, you know, a page in a minute and a half. <laughs> it will take me, you know, the full five or six minutes to read out loud that same page. I'm a very fast reader. I feel like... I read better than I speak, which anyone who's listened to our show knows that I am perfectly capable of reading. I guess they don't know that I'm reading the words correctly. I'm just not saying them out loud the right way. Every time I try to read this intro that Chris has written for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, Alba is great. Um, Check it out. It's really fun. A-L-B-A. A-L-B-A. Yeah, it is a, what do they call it? An adventure? Open world storybook. Yeah. And the premise of the book, and that's the thing, is it's, is it a game? Is it not Open a game? Open world it's adventure kind of, book, sorry. Yeah. To me, it felt more like a classic choose-your-own-adventure than a, like a Tunnels and Trolls, if anyone's familiar with that, where you have a character sheet and you're rolling dice and stuff like that. Because there's no dice rolling. There's nothing random that happens in it. But it is very, very compelling and the story is well written, um, but the idea is it's broken up into chapters. And as you're reading certain chapters, it's kind of like a mini um, a choose your own adventure. And I know that's trademark, but I'm going to use it because this is fair use. Um, 
<laughs> and during that, you will unlock other chapters that you can go to. So at the end of a chapter, you're done. And now you choose another chapter that you can go to. And you're, these are different areas on a map that you're exploring. Um, but it was quite and – I, and I did the opposite of what you did, Kitty, where you, like, rushed to the end. I basically did every <laughs> You did everything. You're thing. such a completionist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, I think there was one chapter I didn't unlock. And now a few chapters, like, there was only two or three passages before that kicked me out of it. So there's still a lot of content that I didn't have. And depending on the different skills and stuff you choose, you'll go different paths. So there's definitely some re-readability uh, built in. Oh, but. for sure. And like, because I like raced, I have a lot of rereadability and I'm excited about it. But even if you go through completionist, you are making choices. You're missing out on text. And like, that's why I kind of didn't go the completionist route because I was like, well, there's no way that I can get everything in one read. So I'm going to save stuff for my next time through. Like, I knew like maybe even just a third of the way through my first read, I was like, I'm going to do this again. So I'm not going to bother trying yeah. to get everything. I and save I, things. And I will say that the the book makes, the story has more continuity if you do it more the Kitty way than the Chris way. So if you just go to what's logically next and then go to that logical next chapter, it the story will flow better. If you're like, well, I have this chapter unlocked so I can go there, you'll start seeing that you're kind of jumping around in time a little bit, but it's not really, but you are begin, given the same information over and over because it really wants you to go a certain way. Um, so don't don't rush through it. There's enough story here where it's actually going to be fun to read it multiple times. But yeah, that's Alba. I also got Zombie Side 2nd Edition in. I barely opened it. I'm not excited about the game, but I'm excited about the role-playing game a little bit. Um, but we'll talk about that next week. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about before we talk about crowdfunding? Nope. And Kitty is shaking her head because she's an expert podcaster. That's, that's and I've only been doing this for like four years now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe at 240 episodes, we'll figure it out. Probably um, not. <laughs> probably not. All right. So this week, we're going to talk about crowdfunding. Um, Kitty and I, as mentioned in the scripted intro, finished our last Kickstarter segment on Dice Tower Now. Dice Tower Now. Um, And that caps off about four and a half, maybe almost five years of doing a weekly Kickstarter segment. It doesn't feel like that long. But if I look at the number of games I still have to give away, by the way, we have a contest check the show notes if you don't know anything about it but seriously take some of my games um i have a lot of games and they just keep showing up in fact the zombie side second edition i got just randomly appeared in my garage i don't know when i just was walking in the garage and i'm like oh what's this big box oh it's a giant simon kickstarter um because ups dropped it off in the garage and i didn't see it and on the front steps so Those garage yeah, literally again <laughs> yeah <laughs> Games are just materializing out of no place because of Kickstarter. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be kind of relaxing, relieved. I mean, we did take like two months off, I think, when we passed Dice Tower News to Jesse. Um, but I'm I'm kind of looking forward to not backing as many games. Maybe. I doubt it. But if you actually I've- end up not backing as many games, I will be shocked. Yeah, I, I am already being a little bit more picky, but after this week's episode, my goal is sort of to justify crowdfunding, or at least 
kind of convince all these episodes just are something to convince myself of one thing or the other. <laughs> but um like what what is crowdfunding in the game industry and how much are should you be into it if you're into the game industry at all? And we're going to run some numbers and take a look at some things, but um let's just first start by defining crowdfunding. Um Kitty, what's crowdfunding? <laughs> I knew you were going to say my name. <laughs> um crowdfunding is when a company designs and develops a game that is pretty much ready to be published, but instead of taking it to a game publisher, they take it to a crowdfunding site in which people can basically pre-order the game and prepay to have it made before it has gone to production most of the time. Yeah. Um, and that's that's specifically for how crowdfunding seems to work in the board game industry. Yeah. It's a year to three year pre-order. Yeah, we are only talking about the game industry. And yes, sometimes they do not fulfill, something goes wrong. There is no guarantee that you will be getting this thing. This is a reward for just giving them your money. But of my sample size, there has been... Which is quite large. (laughs) Which is quite large. Um I don't think that there's been an actual board game that is not fulfilled for me. There's one that I, at least one I know I've ordered and possibly one or two more that fulfilled for me, but have not fulfilled for other people. Yeah. So like maybe international shipping was too much and they couldn't ship it out. Or, you know, the first wave went out and then the second wave something happened or something like that. Um, but it is incredibly rare that a crowdfunded game doesn't fulfill. Um, and again, I'm not going to, it would be really tricky for me to find this because my funded projects, um, geez, 286 <laughs> and two more will fund in the next, uh, week. So that would be 288 games I have backed over the last oh, four goodness. or five years. What's I your guess... oldest unfulfilled, um, game? So it, it, this the oldest one was not a game, but it was definitely unfulfilled, and it's mostly because I kept holding out for what I wanted versus what they were offering as. Hey, if you want to change this for that, we can send you this out, or you can wait, and you know we'll get this other thing printed. And these were some um, dry erase ish, like basically all erase, any kind of marker or pen or whatever D and D tiles that would like stick together with magnets, and they were really really cool. You were so excited about this. This was forever ago. I was. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. These were called game mats. And, or gamer, GNL mats. And this is one, two, three, four, five, six. six, The sixth game that I had backed on, or not game, but sixth thing I had backed on Kickstarter. And this is back when I was backing toothbrushes too, and that one didn't fulfill either. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so it was $115 for... It's long story. Um, $115 for 50 game tiles, which was a great deal. And they had so many problems with manufacturing. I'm pretty sure the guy who did this mortgaged his house and then lost his house because he still wasn't able to fulfill the project. So I am not all that beaten up about the $115 I am out. Um, he was trying to start a business. And this was in the earlier days of Kickstarter where, oops, miscalculating costs and prices and all of that. Um, and that was that's how it works sometimes. Delivery. You know, that's yeah. part of the cost. This was that's part of the risk. This was an estimated delivery of August 2015. But if I go back to my first 
um, Kickstarter estimated delivery of January 2013. So between probably 2012 to 2015, I did not back a whole lot of things, or maybe 2012, 2013. Um, but yeah, since that point, though, um, I'm just kind of scanning. They have a little check mark that you can scan whenever you receive your pledge. Do you actually and check yours? <laughs> I Every once in a while, I'll go through just because I'm curious. And also, I have hundreds. Um, I think... Oh, there's a D&D book. No, I definitely got that. Um, Trade Wars? Trade Wars is the first one that I'm pretty sure I did not get that one. Um, maybe I did. I just... It, it doesn't ring a bell at all. Um, and then Galaxy of Tryon also, in that same range, um, I have not seen. So how, those how ones those? were supposed to... They were supposed to deliver in 2018. Um, mid 2018. So, okay, it's chances are that might be written off. Um, but about again, two years we're talking about, yeah, I mean, you we're could probably check the two- crowdfunding page and see if other people are complaining, like, I never got my delivery. Yep. So. And actually, I'm going to do that for a galaxy of, of train because that one, um, open link and new window, um, that one actually pretty, pretty decent amount all in on that. Um, hello after a long break. So, the last update was March 2021. So this was recent, just, just recently. Yep. Um, apologize. To, uh, let's see what this is saying. The Why creative maker team broke podcast. up. Yep. There was no <laughs> one that could reply to all the comments at the moment. The company is operating by one person who is who is gets acquired in the current state of the project within the next week and examining all the tasks remaining to complete the project. Um, so it's not completely dead. Dead. But it's pretty dead, dead. It's so. it's probably going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And that happens every once in a while. Um, yeah. Which, again, you know, the percentage here, I would say literally 1% to 2% is based on my statistics of, you know, just looking at what I've backed and what I have hasn't shown up. nothing unfulfilled. I mean, like, except things that shouldn't have yet. Right. So I have a smaller sample size than you, though. But all that's to say that crowdfunding for games is not that much of a risk. It's far less of a risk that you crowdfund a game that doesn't deliver than if you just buy a game at a game store and never want to play it. <laughs> like, that's going to be a more likely thing. Or it's like, well, I bought this game and then I read the rules and eh, it sucks. I'm never going to play this. Or I played it once and it sucks. There's a far higher likelihood of that happening than a Kickstarter not fulfilling. Now, a Kickstarter fulfilling, you playing it once and say this sucks, that's a very high percentage. Um, I was going to say, like, so, <laughs> you're not comparing apples to apples. Exactly. Trust me, there are many Kickstarters that I've gotten where I'm like, huh, this was better on paper. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as I'm scrolling board. through it's better my not list on paper. here, <laughs> yeah. I'm scrolling through my list here. I feel like I've gotten pretty good at backing things the last few things that have fulfilled that i have i have already played and enjoyed i will i will say the last in the last year or two the kickstarters i've been getting i have opened i have played and i have enjoyed the ones that i haven't opened and played are those huge box ones and that's just because they're a pretty big commitment and even then you've played a few of those yeah you've gotten some to the table i i'm yeah 
I, I don't want to encourage you because Sydney's going to text me and yell at me, but <laughs> I feel like you've been doing pretty good. Yeah, the last, even the big ones, there's one that I have upstairs that I don't even remember the name of that I just opened it up and said, oh, this is another big box one. I don't know what this is because I think it was about a year late. So it's totally out of my, <laughs> you know, off my radar. Um, but I did Google it quickly and i'm like oh maybe it's like siege of citadel siege of the citadel or something like that and it seems to be getting like it's getting good reviews on bgg and people are talking about it it's just too big of a game for me to want to open right now because i have tainted grail that i really want to get to um and you know the solomon kane and then i am going to probably play bloodborne again with my own house rules because there's enough of that game that I like that it's worth house rolling. Um, but I want to play those games as well. So I'm just, before I open another huge box game. Um, so yeah, that's crowdfunding. <laughs> game found. So typically crowdfunding is on Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter is synonymous with crowdfunding. Uh, but there's Indiegogo lately, too and, and, and other ones out there. There are. There's Indiegogo, uh, GoFundMe. Those tend not to be for I was going to say, games, in the though. board game industry though, it is kickstarter almost exclusively yep. until game found yep so game found um was a what they refer to as a pledge manager so kickstarter was never actually designed to fund board games it wasn't designed to have stretch goals um if you've never backed a game on kickstarter there's a couple things that board games do that sort of changed crowdfunding on kickstarter in general um two of them one is stretch goals and the other are add-ons. So stretch there's goals a lot of, are... I mean, there's a lot of things that do stretch goals. Not just... Yeah, games. now they do. Now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I, I think, think one of the earliest things I backed on Kickstarter had a bunch of stretch stretch goals. And that was like... All right, well, maybe... I'll look it up. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, so essentially a stretch goal is, hey, we need $20,000 to fund this game. But if we get $30,000, we'll upgrade the cards. If we get $40,000, we'll add another character. If we get 50, you know, that's that's what a stretch goal is. And then you have add-ons, which are, hey, we need $20,000 to fund this game, but your basic pledge is only going to back and get the game. But if you give us another $30 on your pledge, then you'll get this expansion that comes out at the same time as the game does. Um, and some have tons of expansions. Um, so that's how Kickstarter works. And just recent, or, well, that's how crowdfunding board games on Kickstarter works. And just recently, Kickstarter has added a new feature where when you do a pledge, you can also add the add-ons at the same time on that pledge. Um, and stretch goals, you don't really need to worry about. It just comes with your base pledge. So that just happens for you. But before that, anyone who ran a Kickstarter campaign, and even after that, anyone who runs a Kickstarter campaign, um, they don't want to deal with Kickstarter's interface for how the basically the creator has to manage the pledge behind the scene. So all of these pledge managers popped up. GameFound is one of them. So what GameFound does is it connects to Kickstarter, it pulls in all of the information from Kickstarter and says, hey, we're now managing all of the details of getting new backers, adding stuff to the pledge, um, you know, your shopping cart, all of those things. And GameFound said, hey, we're doing this already. Let's just become a full-on crowdfunding platform and so far they have and most of their there's only been maybe a handful of original titles on there but they've all made over a million dollars so GameFound seems to be a relatively successful place and they're making it super cheap if not free for creators to use them 
And uh, Kitty, you haven't done anything on GameFound yet, have you? I'm quietly exploring it right now. Um, I find it, I will say, a bit confusing. It's if you just go a, to their website because yeah, it's a so I've I've used them as a pledge manager a bunch of times. It's really easy to just you know Kickstarter sends you the email and then you follow the link and you know complete your pledge through them. But I haven't really explored them as a crowdfunding site of their own. So I was just looking at it. And it's hard to tell, you know, what is a new campaign, what's something that is coming from Kickstarter, what is something that I don't think is being crowdfunded at all, but just something you can buy through them. I'm not sure. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure most of this is crowdfunding, but it is a situation where they are mixing the pledge manager elements and the crowdfunding elements into the same page. So if you go to the top page right now, what I am seeing is popular projects, Robinson Crusoe, Fantasy Brawl, Dice Tower 2021, and Stroganoff. Robinson Crusoe was a campaign on this site, and it raised, I think, 2 point, well, 2.2 million euros, but I think it's like 2.7 million dollars or something. Um, not mm-hmm. bad for not a Kickstarter. Although Super Fantasy Brawl and Dice Tower 2021 and Stroganoff, um, actually Dice Tower 2021 may have been uh, on this, on GameFound, I th- maybe. No, that was too early. But anyway, I think the next time they're, they're going to do it on GameFound. But in any case, all of these you can click on. So Super Fantasy Brawl was a Kickstarter, but if I click on it, I can actually back it from here. It's the pledge manager is open, so I can come in and I can actually pledge, even though the Kickstarter's over, and handle all of my stuff on GameFound. And this is how you, this is why you see kind of a hybrid between the two. But anything you see on GameFound, you can click into and back in some way or another. Um, and it is designed specifically for board games, where Kickstarter is designed for everything. Whatever. Just, yep. just, to, right. just to close the loop real quick, uh, I looked at the very first thing I backed on Kickstarter, had stretch goals, and that was in 2012. Oh. Huh. All right. So board games didn't invent it, but they did they perfect certainly, it. <laughs> mon- like, they, they certainly uh, capitalized on it. Yeah. I would say CMON in particular is all about those stretch goals. Well, and the add-ons. But, oh, yeah, CMON is like so many add-ons. Yeah. It's but everything. The stretch goals, yeah, you get rewarded for a CMON pledge. When you back something for $100, you get the game, and then you get about another 150% of the game in a separate box that doesn't go to retail, which, well, it's great if you are selling it on the secondary market. I'll give it that, as long as the game is successful. Now, crowdfunding in general. Let's take a look. I, I added, I was looking for some stats on 2020 crowdfunding. Um, and if you think about this, you guys probably will know. We've talked about it enough. Um, most funded game in 2020. That's a question. I have, I have no idea. Um, gosh, I could hazard a guess, but I don't remember what year any of these things happened because <laughs> it all falls together. It wasn't like uh, Massive Darkness, a big one. It was a like big that. one, actually. Or, or, uh, yeah, Massive Darkness, Darkest Dungeons. Um, yeah, the most funded one in 2020 is the most funded game of all time. And I think that it is a contender for the biggest uh, crowd Kickstarter period, which was Frosthaven. Oh, I was going to say, was it one of the Gloomhaven ones? I was also thinking one of the Zombicide ones. Aren't they always pretty big? 
Um, Ankh was actually pretty big. But Frosthaven raised nearly $13 million with 83,000 backers. That is insane. Think of our industry in general. Mm -hmm. An average print run of a board game is in the 10,000 range. 83,000 people were willing to pay for this game, you know, $100 minimum, year, two years in advance for this. It's, yeah. Now, that is an exception. Um, the next one they have listed here is actually Wood or Wormwood's Modular Tables, uh, which raised $8.8 million. It's not a game, but it's gaming adjacent. Um, but that only had 7,700 backers, only. Um, <laughs> Nemesis... Lockdown was the next one. This is an Awakened Realms game, and it raised almost $7 million with 42,000 backers. Um, and then Darkest Dungeon, this was one I backed simply because I'm like, why is this making so much money? Um, but it raised $5.6 million with 28,000, 29,000 backers. I wasn't actually all that interested in this, but I'm like, this is insane. Um, I don't want to be left out. So this is a pure FOMO back. <laughs> um then Return to Dark Tower from Restoration Games with 23,000 backers. And I'm saying the backers because I think this is significant. Um, I'm skipping over Dwarven Forge because um, this was another game adjacent, 4 million with four, about 3.5. But Seventh Citadel, which is the follow-on to um, Seventh Continent, raised about 4 million with 33,000 backers. Massive Darkness, 21,000 backers um, in the 3 million range. Ankh, God of Egypt... Um, this is the third in Eric Lang's trilogy that started with Blood Rage. Um, that one is 23,000 backers. And then Hero Forge, <laughs> their campaign for color printed miniatures, 40,000. But what I find interesting is these are the top 10 gaming or gaming adjacent Kickstarters of 2020. 20,000 backers seems to be a sweet spot for a highly successful game campaign. And I just mentioned like 10,000 is a good print run for games. 20,000 is a great pre-order run for games. That doesn't seem like a lot of games though. Like what is your impression of that? Is our hobby just so small that 20,000 people backing something sets records? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think yes. I also think, you know, we're, are these sorted by number of backers though? Or are these sorted by price? By this how much por- money they made. This is sorted by price. And I'm just associating the backers with the most funded Kickstarters. These are also all games that cost a lot. Yes. So, you know, you, when you multiply a large number by a large number, it gets you more than multiplying a small number by a large number. So even, you know, we might be seeing games like Exploding Kittens made a ton of money so it's maybe not the best example but you know it got even more backers because it was a less expensive game it's easier to go in on like well the risk is only 20 bucks and you know there's something to be said about that too and maybe those ones where there's less of a risk to your wallet more people are willing to go in so and i would agree um, but t- let's take a look at some of the games, um, Meeples and Monsters. This is a, a game that I recently played, or backed, uh, which got great, you know, great buzz to it. Um, it has 4,000 backers. Um, this is AEG, AEG, well-known publisher. Um, it looks amazing. The gameplay, like people spoke highly of it, 4,000 backers. Um, Zombicide, 
on Dead or Alive. This one actually was a hugely successful Kickstarter, uh, 20,000 backers. But again, that's Zombicide. And it's the most successful Zombicide ever backed. Tiny Epic Dungeons. This is another of the most successful um, one ever done by uh, Gamelin Games for the Tiny Epic series. Now, this one had 41,000 backers, which is fantastic. This is a $25 game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, again, just clicking on some of these that are... Uh, uh, the top of my list here. Um, but like, I still think the successful, like once you hit 20,000 backers, you're looking at a game that's very successful. So I'm going to go look and see, I'm going to guess it's a little less, but not as bad. I'm sorry. I have to scroll back here through because my, uh, <laughs> the number of backers on games that I have backed is <laughs> in the hundreds lower. Um, but I so Calico. Calico is a game that I have talked about a lot, and I have seen it on Instagram a bunch. I've seen it places. This one had less than seven thousand backers. Yep, and that's a lot of backers for a game that you know I backed. So, uh, Macarons, which is one of the more recent ones that I backed. So we'll see. Maybe this will be the one that breaks the all of mine filled. Has two hundred and twenty four backers. Uh, But that's what I like about Kickstarter or other crowdfunding sources. It's like, you know, I'm going to get this game and I might really enjoy it. And that it makes me happy that I'm one of these 224 people that, you know, brought this project to life. Yeah. And so Calico was a sleeper hit when it when it was released. Like it got rave reviews across the board. There will be a second printing. It's in retail. I told you so, everyone. (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah so like that is those... the fun part for me as i told you so every you know i was one of those seven thousand people that was like this looks like a great game and now i get to i told you so everyone forever because i have all the kickstarter exclusives <laughs> is this what you feel hey. like all the time chris <laughs> basically so and, and it's, it's the shotgun effect right so if i just back everything i get to say i told you so eventually see like, i like being thoughtful about my choices and you know still i told you so in sometimes all right so i'm going to we're going to take a look at gloomhaven the number one board game of all time um uh, according to bgg the highest fundraising game of all time in its direct sequel the original campaign for gloomhaven was 4900 backers mm-hmm. like these are the types of things where and this is why crowdfunding is so unpredictable because when you looked at gloomhaven and i did i walked by it and i looked at it and i'm like huh that looks interesting and i only backed it because i actually talked to isaac at gen con and he like showed me the game i'm like oh that's interesting and i still wasn't like over the moon for it i was just in my i will back anything phase and accidentally backed it twice <laughs> and <laughs> what do you think no, i'll back anything it's- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, ringing endorsement from Chris. It really was at the time. And, you know, the second Gloomhaven campaign, because they needed to do a reprint immediately, had 40,000 backers. Mm-hmm. So, and Frosthaven has 80,000 backers. You know, that's a pretty good increase in in numbers as these games get out there. But somebody, like, he had to put it out there, right? He had to, he could not fund this himself even even with the second printing of gloomhaven making i think it was oh crazy several million um 
The second printing made $4 million. Actually, it was literally $300, $205 shy of $4 million. Um, he still, once that was printed, he couldn't print Frosthaven without going to crowdfunding and doing it again. Because it just costs so much to build to make this game. He would never be able to keep up with it. Um, or he would just constantly be making new print runs as the older print runs funded. But now he has... Like, this is what crowdfunding does. And these are diamonds in the rough, like most of the games out there. Kitty, we had one week where we covered 17 Kickstarters that were ending in a single week. Yeah. That was the last That's time. That's why we're that not said, doing this yeah. anymore. And I'm and like, at a certain point, I'm like, I need to put a cap on this. Because any yeah. given week, there are a half a dozen to two dozen games that are either, you know, newly put, well, if you, depending on what side you look at it, we'll say, half a dozen to two dozen games ending in any given week. That is a lot of games. And that's not taking into consideration role-playing games or like ultra niche games that, you know, are basically a garage, you know, I'm going to make 100 of these and that's all that's going to be made because I'm hand-making them or whatever. There are literally Mm -hmm. campaigns like that. Yeah. But if one of these games hits, it can change, well... It can change a lot of people's lives if you enjoy the game, but it definitely the designer and you know self-publisher, because that's what crowdfunding does. All right, so let's talk about where do we see crowdfunding going? And I, Fletcher, I want to start with you on this, because you... Because I don't back anything. Right. <laughs> and, which, is, which is fine. And, and we're going to... I want to actually dig into that. That last question of, will Fletcher ever support the industry? A little tongue-in-cheek, but... I don't think Fletcher's the only person out there that is into games, but is not interested in doing any kind of crowdfunding. So we're going to dig into that a little bit more. But first, Fletcher, from the outside looking in and knowing what you do tangentially by, you know, hearing Kitty and I talk, where do you see crowdfunding and board games going? Um, I think they're going to, I think someone is eventually going to create a site, kind of like what you were talking about before, that's like, specifically for this it seems like even though this kind of hobby is a bit niche like the people who are into it are really into it and having some kind of website that's like specifically for board game funding um is will probably exist soon is my guess which is what gamefound is yeah i mean gamefound is exactly that okay then so you are right in that prediction (laughs) (laughs) i thought i I was confused because a few times you were talking about it in past tense. So I was like, oh, did it go away? No. No. So it has existed for years. It just recently became the primary funding platform. So it was a support platform for Kickstarter. And now it is a replacement to Kickstarter. So that'll probably continue to grow. There might be like, you know, some other competitors will crop up because that's usually what happens. Like Kickstarter was the first big one. Then there's Indiegogo and GoFundMe. And they both they all have like different ways that they you know lure in the people through you know different cuts of commissions and stuff like that it'll probably become easier and easier to make not not to design games but to make games uh the printing process anyway um but yeah beyond that i i'm not i'm not entirely sure we will do an episode on that in the near future about how easy it is to make games right now we talked um were you you, I think you were on the episode where I talked about um, the game, the game crafter. Yeah, yeah. So there are multiple companies. Um, I think uh, Panda 
Panda Games or Panda, like they're a manufacturer that makes board games. Um, that's super easy. And there's, it is much easier to make games now. And a lot of all this crowdfunding has come to that where it's like, hey, you don't know how to deal with the manufacturing side of things. So just hire us. We'll deal with all of that. And then you right. go to another logistics company that says, you don't really want to be the one packaging all these boxes in your garage. Just send all the supply to us and the addresses and we'll take care of that. So there's a lot of behind the scenes that, support all of this stuff um if if anyone is more most in, or very interested in the back end of how all this crowdfunding works and how how you can do this successfully you have to go to stonemeyer games and rate and read jamie's blogs like he doesn't even use kickstarter anymore but he will walk you through everything that you need to worry about and he'll tell you why he doesn't use it but he's also a huge fan of the the platform and just crowdfunding in general and he's going to make sure that you are aware of everything you need to be aware of so do not make a kickstarter and put something on kickstarter or gamefound without going through and browsing you know his top 10 kickstarter articles they're just you 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 can't pay enough for that information all right before we talk about why fletcher doesn't back anything kitty why do you back games like what what draws you to backing a particular thing now i know outside of like supporting small publishers and things like that what about the game or the campaign draws you to saying yes i'm going to throw my 20 30 40 dollars your way i mean like you're talking about i'm like scrolling through the kickstarter homepage. i'm already here what draws me to a game i'll say the first thing is usually art the the art and the title of the game is a huge do I click on this or not? Um, and so there's that. And then once I click in, if something has good art, an interesting title, looks like I might have a theme I enjoy too. I like anything that's kind of garden, um, fantasy history kind of stuff, um, wildlife themed, uh, sewing themed, knitting themed, those things. Once I like get into those, then I'm looking for mechanisms that I enjoy. Is it going to be a trick taking game? Is there tile laying? Is there puzzly thinking? And I also really like when you can kind of feel the like passion of the creator coming out through this. And there are, it's sometimes it'll be part of a video or sometimes it'll just be the way things are written. But when you can feel the personal passion of somebody who obviously thinks similar to me because, you know, they, they've hit all these things, like they've got, they've chosen art that speaks to me as well as them. They, you know, it, it feels like I've kind of found this like kindred spirit out there in Kickstarter, sort of. I agree with basically everything you just said, except for the sewing <laughs> themes. Uh, we have different theme interests, for sure. Definitely different theme interests. We will click, like, you can give us a page of 30 games, and we'll each click into 10 of them, and it, none of them will overlap, except maybe one. I think we have backed two of the same Kickstarters, like, ever. Yeah. Yep. And we, we even when we were doing our own Kickstarter stuff or DTN, we never overlapped on Kickstarters ever. Once that's it wasn't pretty an accident. Once, yeah. <laughs> Once I saw something that you were writing it, and I was like, okay, I'll just pick something else. But like, yeah, yeah. So Miles says, um, cool concept, theme, art, and then a decent how to play. And 
I agree with that as well, but I think art is the very first thing. Because when you're browsing through Kickstarter or even GameFound now, that title's shot, that thumbnail, if that is not drawing my attention, I am skipping right past it. And what does not draw my attention, or what I will skip past probably more often than not, is a thumbnail that is a wide shot of all of the components laid out on a table. I don't want to see that. I want to see the box cover, <laughs> and I want the box cover to draw me in. And it's judging a book by its cover. It, it really is. It's judging yeah. a game by its cover. But I have been in the game industry practically my entire life in one way or another, and not on the art side. I'm a designer. I am a maker. I'm a creator. Not the art side. And I used to be in, like when I was doing video games, I used to be, it doesn't matter what the art is. It's about the gameplay. And what I've learned very quickly, actually, in my career is, no, it's not. It is uh-huh. about the art. Gameplay will it's keep you there. Game. Yeah. yeah. Art will art will get you there. And these days, it is more about the art than the gameplay in a lot of situations. We hate to admit that. But a board game that is, eh, okay, entertaining, you know, I can play it, take it or leave it. A board game with great components is a game that I can keep putting on the table and bringing new people into, where a game that has great gameplay but crappy components, I'm not going to pull it out again because I have to resell people on that gameplay. Art, components, production matter. And it's, you know, whether you like that or not, it's true. It does matter. Um, it's just how our, our eyes are, right? We glance at that. Now, that said, the the opposite of this is what causes us to avoid certain campaigns. So we, we've popped into it. It's a great-looking campaign or a great-looking you know thumbnail. A few things that I will stop and say and back away is not a lot of detailed gameplay. Like, I've seen so many uh-huh. Kickstarters that talk about, look at all this stuff without telling me what the stuff is for. And then there's no rule book on top of that. These days, I'm like, I don't care how much stuff there is. I, I just doesn't, how does it play? Mm-hmm. You know, like Simon used to do this where I, I think it's, um, uh, well, Hate did this, um, Seven Sins did this, where you didn't even actually have the rule book or a play video until most of the way through the campaign, if at all. You were basically backing blind. And I don't, like, I don't do that anymore. Um, missed kickbacker kickstarter edition <laughs> yeah exactly i was like i don't know so i want we'll a rule book and i want the yeah i want the rule book to be finished um one other thing that really turns me off these days is bad graphic design not bad art um yeah. but bad graphic design i don't know what this card is telling me i don't know what this component is trying to do like just the graphic design is the part of the game that tells you how to play through your eyes. It's eye reading in pictures. How's that, Fletcher? Is that good? <laughs> and if my eyes can't read the pictures, I will just skip right by it. I, I won't even bother. It's just like this is gonna be too much work. Like I don't I don't want a, a game that looks like this. Um with very few exceptions. And I can't actually think of any exceptions. Every time where I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy about the graphic design, but I'll try it. It's a game that I just never put on the table because I'm like, eh, I, I just can't keep looking at the most important information and not have it be interesting or I don't know, informational to look at. All right, Fletcher, you're up. You're on the hot seat. Why don't I back games? Uh, all right. Yes. Let's start there. And then I will ask you more specific questions. So, I mean... We've talked about this before, and I, 
it's mainly for uninteresting reasons and i don't back games because a i i know the risk is really low but you know i don't want it i don't want it to not fund and that's not even the most that's not even the top reason the top reason is like i don't have space for for games just in general so if i want to buy a game i i need to know exactly how big the box is going to be and where it's going to fit in my limited storage that's that's number one and uh like i said before i don't need a game to not fund for whatever reason i'd rather just go to target or buy it off amazon or go to your local friendly game store and buy it there um the finished the finished copy you can just walk home with it um another reason i don't know if i'm super great at choosing there's games that will definitely look interesting to me but i don't know if it's fun and i i like to rely heavily on recommendations from people like chris and kitty and and others about like (laughs) oh this game is actually fun you will like this as opposed to just going in and thinking like this looks fun let's back it and then getting the game and like nah you know what not fun now i have to give it away like chris Um, (laughs) you know so i just it's something though like the more you do it the better you get at it yeah, but I don't need that learning curve. You know what's you know what's easier? <laughs> you telling me what games I'll like, and then just me doing that. <laughs> or so you, you bring know, up some it, valid. It, you bring up valid points. Like I get, I not having enough space. So why back something that you don't know that you're going to have space for in the first place? I get not knowing if it'll be fun. Now there are most Kickstarter campaigns do have like gameplay videos where you can watch people play the game and walk you through it. But at the same time, that's you know, that's time consuming. And you watch, you know, an hour, two hours of someone playing a game. You don't know how entertaining they are. Also, Kickstarter people have entertaining gameplay videos. Um, keeps you involved. So I understand that. What about, so you did mention you'd rather get it at a local game store. And I don't disagree with that. I would say at this point, though, most, and I don't have, you know, quantitative evidence to this. Yeah, most most are not going to make it there. I get it. I most are it. never going to be in retail. Yeah, most are not going to be at retail, but the ones that do go to retail are usually going to be like I don't want to say the, the good best, ones. <laughs> but like the most popular. Yeah, I can't argue so, with you there. So, like, if it's going to make it to retail, then you you know it's it meets a certain level of quality. Um, doesn't mean it's not you know it could still be like not a great game, but it's going to meet like a certain level of quality if it went from Kickstarter. And made it to your, you know, the Amazon, the game store, Target, whatever. Um, so I'm happy for that to be like a threshold for me to like purchase into and buy a game. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, oh, do you like, you know, having a friend with a boat? Like it's expensive to maintain. You need to take it in and out of the water. <laughs> you have to do all this stuff. It's a lot easier to like make friends with someone who owns a boat already. <laughs> you are my friends that own boats. You own all the games that I want to play. And I'm your friend, and we go over to each other's houses, and we play those games. So there's no reason for me to buy those games. So my suggestion to everyone out there is to find that person in your life if you don't want to become that person. If you don't want to become the boat person, then find a boat person. Yeah. I can't disagree with anything you said. I'm going to use two examples. Gloomhaven. Um, at first, it was a essentially a Kickstarter exclusive game, uh, and it became ultra popular, and it became ultra hard to find. But it was reprinted, and it was reprinted with enough to go to retail. So now you can basically find Gloomhaven in any retail store. You can go on Amazon and buy it right now if you want to. 
So you didn't need to be one of those initial backers. The difference was you got to play it a year before anyone else, but how many games did I have to back in order to get into that situation, right? Yeah. Um, The other one was Seventh Continent, which they said, we can only ever do this on Kickstarter because it's too expensive to print otherwise. And even they did a reprint campaign. And then after that said, okay, we're going to make a retail edition because the demand is so high that we're going to figure out a way of doing this. Yeah. It's not like they don't want to make money. So it's like, oh, there's there's too much demand. Okay, well, I guess we'll go to retail. Yeah, but it's like that feeling you get, you know, maybe it's like just my inner hipster. But there's something about like, oh, I liked it before it was cool. Like, I found this. This like <laughs> I am part of the reason why this is cool. Like, yeah, you know, there's you just something add, fun about that. You can have <laughs> you the can story still, where like you can still have that, you know? You're right. You were, you were there first. You, you liked it before it was cool. I, I, <laughs> you I, will I, never have the story where I got on the to. album too. That's fair. <laughs> you will never have the story that you accidentally backed Gloomhaven twice before anyone knew it was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I also don't have all the other stories I mean, of having to give away games because I'm never going to play them and I don't even know what they are. All right. I'll give you that. Um, there is one exception to what you're saying. I agree with everything you're saying. And I would say for 99% of the people out there, those are all completely valid reasons to just say, look, if a game is good enough, it'll show up in retail and I can get it there. Right. Or also, if I don't play it, I'm not going to miss it. Right. I, I don't need the time lag of like, oh, I'm going to back this game. And then like two years later, I get the game. And it's like, oh, actually, that's fun. Right. It is fun I, when actually, it just my... shows up at your porch like, oh, what's this? <gasps> a game. That, that's one of my most favorite things about Kickstarter, actually, is back it, forget it, and then have a Christmas present on a Tuesday. Like Maybe, maybe if you fun. back like enough games, it would be fun. But like, I feel like I don't. I don't need to wait around for two years for something to fulfill. <laughs> also, right? like I'm Amazon. I got like Amazon Prime, Chris two does. day shipping, not two year shipping. <laughs> so things that Chris backs, sure, that's how that goes. But the uh, so we were just talking about Alba, the uh, book. So this one's different because uh, that's my digital copy. I will be getting a physical copy at some point. But that one is the most recent thing that I backed, and I already have it. This project ended. Um, I don't know when it ended. It, it was it was a few weeks ago. It was weeks. Best. Yeah, yeah. And game uh, one games was like a tiny. Month. That's not that bad. With, okay, I mean, if if yeah. it was on the order of weeks, that's you know that's fine. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but that's it's rare. But like tiny epic, those games. Um, you will have a print and play of the game within a few weeks after the campaign ends. Even though the game itself is going to take you another eight to twelve months, you will be able to see yeah. the components and read the rules and. You know, there's no way I'm know doing that a print there's... and play. I can oh, no, no. I'll read I, the rules, never... but like, I'm yeah. not going like, to done a pr- cut out stuff. Yeah, I've <laughs> never printed and played. I've never done that either, but I like looking at the art and looking at the, the finished product that's going to be printed. But there is one reason why you still may want to back a game on a crowdfunding platform. Um, let's say that you really, really like... And we'll do this in two ways. One, a game that already exists that's going for a reprint. Uh, Marvel United. You can go out and buy this game right now, 30 bucks in any store, and it is a fun co-op game by itself out of the box. It's okay out of the box. With all of the Kickstarter expansions you can get that you can only get on Kickstarter, though, it makes the game phenomenal. 
but you can only get those on Kickstarter. They will not be available in retail due to licensing and how and distribution and such. In that case, you know the game is good and you know there's content that's only available there. You have to spend money up front so you can get this content later. So that's one reason. Maybe it doesn't draw you in, but it's a reason why you may want to consider backing something. No. <laughs> that doesn't move the needle. Well, the, the like, other part hey, won't at all. The game that they release to the public is okay, but if you go on Kickstarter, it gets a lot better. That's like an that's that's a <laughs> well, that's more of a turnoff. It's like, wait, I have to go to Kickstarter just, to get the good part of the game. Why don't you just make the good part of the game available to everyone? No, you get to get more of the game is is really what it comes down to. But yeah, so the other one's not going to sell you either, which is essentially when you back something on Kickstarter, many. Not even most, but many campaigns will give you a lot more for your Kickstarter dollar than you will get for your retail dollar. Um, so again, yeah, most games are never going to retail, so it doesn't make a difference. But I'm happy. I'm happy to games, pay that premium yeah. though for for the retail. Uh, uh, I don't know immediacy and um, level of fit and finish that you're kind of guaranteed at the the retail level. So I'm happy to pay that premium. So something that Chris didn't mention at all, which is a big part of why I love Kickstarter, is I love to back these tiny games that probably won't make it to retail, that no one might ever care about. But because I back them, that person now can maybe spend that little bit more time developing their next game. They can design something different and they can keep growing and maybe build up to backing something that someday, you know, will make it to, like, you know, Amazon, Target, your local friendly game store. And but I feel like I, I'm making our industry more of a place that I want it to be by supporting the people who are making games that I like. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. definitely true. Yeah. But it's not your responsibility, Fletcher, to do that. No. It, you'll feel <laughs> yeah. good. You'll feel it feels good, good if you do. But you don't have to. But you don't have to. It's fine. You yeah. can just, you know, shun these people. It's it's cool. I will just back crush some their dreams quietly <laughs> and <laughs> effectively. <laughs> but I and I agree with that too. I mean, I've backed some pretty small campaigns because they made a heartfelt video that was just like, I like this person and I am more than happy to, you know, throw forty dollars their direction to back them. So, it, it, and that's there. It does something feel something good about that. And when sometimes when the game arrives, I'm just like, oh, right, this is the one I backed because I just wanted to support them. It's not a game I'm interested in, but you know, I'm glad that they got to make the game that they wanted to make. Like sometimes that is a completely valid. Now I'm not going to back four hundred dollar games for that reason, but forty dollar games, sure. Yeah, see, I still back ones that like I want to play. But I, I want to play, like, I, I believe in them because I want to play them. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I'm not backing stuff but that I, I do know like I do, like, short stuff. <laughs> yeah. We did the, I think it was last week, we talked about a tarot card game. And uh-huh. it it was it, has, it raised over $300,000, so which is why I kept it in. But the game is tremendously bad. Horrible. <laughs> horrific. Just terrible. There is nothing, It was nothing not compelling. to your taste. No, it's just bad. It's just really, really bad. Like, so bad. And and even watching the video by the creator, like, I'm certain he likes it. I'm almost positive that game has the backing it has because the tarot deck is actually very cool looking. It's a unique tarot deck, and it's a very cool looking tarot deck. But the game itself is 
really, really bad. So that is one <laughs> that I'm like, I don't care who you are. This is just a bad game. Um, but yeah, I think Fletcher, you've talked me out of backing things. I, I think you're right. I think <laughs> I should just wait until retail. And if it's good enough, I just don't buy it because I can't buy something and not have all the pieces for it because... Oh, never mind. I'm I'm back into all in Kickstarters. We're good. We're good. <laughs> all right. So that's our crowdfunding episode. I, I don't know that we actually landed on anything, but I found it an interesting conversation. And Kenny and I didn't fight. Did we? We, didn't we landed fight. on a good analogy for... Uh, <laughs> it was a good analogy. <laughs> for backing stuff. Chris, you got the mega yacht. Kitty, you have like yep. a nice 30-foot sailboat. And I have an inner tube with a pool skimmer. <laughs> Yeah, you're the barnacle on the bottom of the boat. Um, <laughs> Terrence asked me, how many games did I back because I met the designer at Gen Con? That was every designer I met at Gen Con up until about three years ago. I, I stopped backing automatically uh, when I met designers. But it used to be if I talked to the designer, then I would just back. Okay. But- <laughs> <laughs> That looks amazing. Yeah, I'm going to back it right this second. Um, Actually, it made it easier with crowdfunding because it used to be designers would just bring their printed games and be like hawking their wares. So I would feel guilty because they would have 200 games. I would feel guilty for not buying things. Exactly. What happens to look a human in the eye? (laughs) Yeah. So with Kickstarter, where it's like, oh, this isn't available. It's just a demo that's available on Kickstarter. Here's my card. I'm like, oh, great. I'm definitely going to back it when it's live. What, next week? Awesome. Back pocket, walk away. Chris, and what happens when you go to Costco? Um, Costco, I eat all the samples, but now it's COVID, so I can't do that anymore. <laughs> do you just, you just I, like I, I pick everything up? <laughs> I just want whatever. No, because like if there was a human standing there, like I made these veggie straws by hand, would you like them? Like I'm not. That's that's why they don't. I don't know. It's I, yeah. I would have so have hard a-, a time saying no to somebody like somebody who's like. But I, I, but I made this. <laughs> I can't do craft fairs because that's I, how oh I my, feel like. Yeah, craft when I go to like, yeah, when I go to or like a farmers market like a, or a farmers market. If I go to a convention, why do we need has two like gallons artist, of artisanal honey? <laughs> Seriously, I don't avoid come to my house in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if I make eye contact with an artist, I have to buy it. It's, yeah. it's terrible. It's so bad. <sighs> It's, it's yeah. All right, let's um let's get out of here so we can talk about TI four and not keep Kitty up too late. Uh, Kitty, it's all you now. I'm sorry you kept me up too late. I was yawning. All right. <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. If you'd like to follow us on social media, the links for Facebook and Twitter are in our show notes. Want to watch us record live? You can find the link for that in the show notes, too. Comments or questions? Email us at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. If you'd like to be one of these wonderful people, you can find out how by visiting our website, tabletopgametalk.com, and clicking the Support Us link. And there's a link in the show notes, too. And before you read Fletcher, I just want to be very clear. I want to be very clear that... The money we get from our patrons does not go towards any of my Kickstarter habit. <laughs> it goes to hosting fees and usually like shipping and packaging to get giveaways. God, but yeah. The <laughs> money that Chris gets from from you guys couldn't support his habit. So I mean, <laughs> it could, could not, not possibly <laughs> touch the surface. <laughs> the last the last thing I backed was an entire month worth of Patreon. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, just want to be clear there. We've had a long episode of me spending too much money on, on games that I need to give away. Patrons, you're supporting us as a podcast. 
so that we could actually keep doing this without having to spend money on hosting fees. Um, okay, who's thanking us again, Fletcher? Finally, a huge thank you to our current <laughs> patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles and Zach Day Clark, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Jeremy Fisher, Terrence Mittler, Sean Peck, Christopher Dong, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Brian Arnold, Michael Yanikowski, David Sellers, David Radke, Jason Marks, Anne Reynolds, Christopher Lethko, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhulst, Joe, Joe Rackstad, Weatherman Keith, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Ben Gary, Matthew Droke, David Rank, Jerry Wong, C. Marie, Justin Willard, Jason Wadney, Cindy Loom, Eric Hoffman, Adrian Dong, Faz Flintham, Eric Salander, Glenn Cotter, John Williams, Sir Sully, Andrew Fayesh, Kamal Berth, Peter Fleming, Gary Bunker, Sahara Wentworth, Le- Lightning Steve, Jim Conrad, Marina Stevens, Sean P. Kelly, Mike Smith, Caleb O'Brien, Don Gilstrap, Aaron Moore, Ron Nelson, Agnes Toth, Charles Pearson, Jesse Wheeler, Ronald Roy, Tony Simpkins, and David Garner. And thanks to all of our patrons, past, present, and future. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. All right, so Fletcher, you took an hour and a half public transit commute to the far north suburbs from Chicago. Yes. To it actually hang wasn't out that bad. In, it, yeah, I mean, the Metro's a nice nice commute. Um, to hang out in my new basement, which is basically just multiple gaming surfaces and an office, which also has a gaming surface in it, to play TI4. First, was it worth yes. it? TI4, Twilight Imperium 4, the epic of all games... So it was worth it. It was good. It, yeah, uh, it was definitely worth it. Um, I watched a video that Chris sent out about... It's kind of like how to play, but not really. It's more like an overview of everything. Um, but the game actually, even though it's kind of complicated, it's pretty easy to play. I know that kind of doesn't sound right. But once you take a few turns, you're like, okay, I kind of get the gist of what's happening in this game. Um and the game itself was really fun. We played how many were we were four people, right? Four? Yes. Yep. We're four people. And um we finished the game in basically eight and a half hours or so. Yeah. Um a little I guess to the bitter end, it was more like nine and a half hours, but the game was over like eight and a half hours in. Um Well, so there was actually well, seven and a half hours to that. Yeah, after yeah. no, after you got off after you got off the uh, FaceTime, we flipped a couple cards, and had Doug not had the secret objective, Sydney would have won on the first action of the next round. Yes, I remember. I remember you saying that, like Sydney would have yeah. won on the next round. So it was very close, um, and we discovered that we were playing the game slightly incorrectly, um, but it doesn't really affect anything it just makes the game go a little bit faster than you probably would have otherwise have played but uh um no i was it was a ton of fun i definitely want to do that again it was it was worth the you know hour ride out there an hour ride back yep yeah we were playing objectives every time we play the game and this is the third full game i've played um we find a rule that we did wrong but we're all doing it the same and it didn't affect the outcome so it was it was fine but i agree with you like once you And I told you, like, I sent you the video. RTFM is the channel that I sent him. Um, And we played with the expansion. And I'm like, there's a lot of information. You just watched 45 minutes of rules being thrown at you. After the first round, you will understand how to play the game. The first round took a little over an hour. 
Um, the next round took about two hours. Um, the game normally ends at about six or seven rounds. And the rounds tend to actually go a little bit faster the further you get into it as, you know, you start knowing what you want to do and how you want to plan it. Um, our friend, so we played Sydney and I and Fletcher and my friend Doug. And we let Doug get away in the first few rounds, we just were ignoring him because we were doing our own thing. And all of a sudden, it's like, what? So, so we just... I don't know why, like, everyone just decided to, like, let this happen. Um, but when you get on Mechatol Rex, which is the big center planet, and basically, like, how you score a bunch of points, he got there first, which is, okay, whatever, fine. But we let him sit on that planet and continue to gain influence and points. There's a card every round that... Um, that person can draw that controls that planet that basically gives them one victory point and you only need 10 to win. And he was able to get that card three times. So not, not only did we let him sit there on that planet, but we kept giving him that card by us not taking it. So he was just racking up points like, like crazy. And, yeah. So by uh, the end, yeah. it was just all three of us ganging up on him to see if anyone else could win besides him. And he yeah, was a warrior race st- anyway, so it was pretty easy for him to like build up an our army pretty quickly. So we just let him sit there, gain a bunch of points. He just like amassed a huge army, and it's like we all three of us had to attack him to have any choice of him to not win. So one of us could win, and which I will say, Chris was in fourth place out of four of four people. So <laughs> place. I took a really fast early lead, getting four points in the first two rounds. Or first, I think three rounds, and then didn't score a point again for the rest of the entire game. It was not not you not my really, greatest showing. You, you did really well exploring all those vacant spaces, though, and, and collecting a ton of relics. I thought you were going like, to win, a- but but you were not getting points. You were getting like really powerful technology and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, didn't translate the points. Yep. Yeah. The one thing I really like about this, uh, there's a bunch of things I like about this game, but. I didn't care that because the yeah, scores were literally so four, six, eight, and ten. And the entire eight plus hours, I was engaged. I was having fun. There was one one moment. There was a particular. There's these agendas that everyone gets to vote on, and Doug had the the right shenanigans in place where we had to vote on something that we had no idea what it was, but he did. And no matter what we decided, he had enough votes to overrule us. So we're like, there's no reason to vote on this because we either lose everything and he votes against it because he doesn't want that outcome. Or we vote in the way he does want it because it was all blind. And eventually it ended up where it locked down all of our home planets and took out a lot of our options for an entire round. That was a feel bad moment, but it was also a relatively rare thing. I've never seen that happen before. And we were still not out of it. It just made us all unite against him at that point. So, but otherwise, like the entire time, you're just having fun playing the game. Win or lose, yeah, it de- the game is it fun. It didn't to feel play. like didn't feel like eight hours, honestly. Yeah, because you're right. You're, <laughs> My, you feel like you're constantly doing stuff the whole time. Miles asked, "Was that the galactic COVID policy?" And it's similar to it. Yeah, he basically decided whether or not nobody was going to be able to use units from their home systems because they were all in COVID lockdown. So Doug yeah. put our home systems in COVID lockdown and won the game. So um, Twilight made it Imperium easier for him to win. Yeah, exactly. Twilight Imperium. I highly recommend everyone experience this game at some point. 
Um, we did sort of pseudo-invite Kitty, but Kitty, you decided that, no, you're all right, not your game. Oh, I'm still on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped listening several minutes ago. I've been checking our email. <laughs> That's fair. We'll get you to play Twilight Imperium with us at some point. When you have Marina Stevens is making me buy soup stuff and it's fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks to our patrons for getting me to spend money on non-board game things. <laughs> and on that note, thanks everybody, and we will talk to you next week. <laughs>